This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Podcast, I suppose, uh, the only way to describe it. We are lucky enough to be an interview with a ex-premiership um, scout for many years, uh, also a Millwall fan. Um, Jim, welcome to the show. Hi, Mickey. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Nice to meet you. Obviously, joining me on this show is my regular partner in crime, my co-host, uh, the one and only Omar. How you doing, fella? Not bad, thank you. Looking forward to this one. Yeah, no, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. So, um, hopefully, over this show... We're going to answer some questions. Um, we're going to get some answers to some questions and um, and hopefully get a better insight into you've set up um, scouting players, potentially what goes into finding a player to sign a player uh, and questions along those lines. So we're going to be back straight after this and we'll get straight in. So see you in a minute. If you're a football fan, this is the place to be today, Millwall. Come on, you're in with us. Welcome back. Okay, so Jim, um, probably best to start with, um, you don't have to mention names, you can just say the leagues, but um, unless you want to mention names, it's up to you. But um, give us a little bit of your CV as such. Uh, Well, the CV started really, I was in the army for 17 years, got out in the army in 93, Moved to, well, I lived in um, just outside Chester and I, I was doing my badges as I was going through um, after leaving the army. And I ended up as a football coach, really. And it was through coaching and management, I eventually got into scouting. But I, I was head of youth at Chester City for three or four years. I managed a, a team in the League of Wales. I then went out to Hong Kong for 10 years to to work as a director of sport and a football coach. And when I came back, I was looking for a role in football that had no responsibility, really, or no pressure and no responsibility. So I ended up um, with a friend of mine at a professional club who said there was a vacancy. I talked to them and and I sort of fitted the brief for what they were looking for as a scout. So my background really is in coaching and managing and it's youth development as well. So it's it fits very well to to youth scouting and, and looking at young players rather than going looking for a senior player for a senior team, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. So I suppose with what you've just told us, we start at the beginning and we can work through because some of what you said you've done is is set little bulbs off in my head to to come along a path. So um, 
you say youth development, um, and obviously, where does that differ between where you said Chesterfield and say the Premiership you were where? Where does development start, or is it the same level in both those clubs, or or does one differ to the other? Um, I think if you look in, I mean, a, a lot of um, people look at under sevens, under sixes, under eights, that sort of area. Um, and there, there's not a lot of difference. All there is is the name and the funding, if you like. I know some of the top clubs will will fund their their de- development process. It's a development phase that allows kids to get up to under 12. And they'll get funded through different environments. The smaller clubs, when I was at Chester City, had no money. They couldn't, if you like, the first team took all the money. Everything else underneath that was scrapping around for whatever they could get. We we had sponsors, we had parents, all buying stuff, you know, that, that matter. So smaller clubs don't have the access, or they have access to local kids because of the, the time constraints. If you go to, whether it's Man City, whether it's Arsenal, whether it's Millwall, they've got to live within an hour, hour and a half of the training ground to be able to get there. So Manchester City couldn't pick a, t- uh, pick a player up from Birmingham and keep flying him back and forth because he doesn't live within that that area. So they'll get the best kids. The Premier League teams will get the best kids because their scouting network is bigger. They'll attract the best kids in the area. But if you're going into London, you look at all the clubs in London that are all looking for the same kids. And Millwall aren't. They're not fighting Arsenal, Tottenham and the bigger boys. They're fighting Orients, Charlton's those sort of clubs to get the best of the rest. And then that's where the coaching side comes in. If if you're looking at the coaches, then they've got to be a certain level. It's whether they can develop the, the players to their potential. So they eventually get through to 16, get their scholarship or apprenticeship, YT, whatever you want to call it. That's where the real sort of uh, professional football then comes into play. So up to 16, you're looking at players... You might find that you might have um, somebody who recommends somebody. Somebody might ring up, send a letter in. And it's up to really the recruitment people to say, we'll have a look at him or we won't look at him. You know, he's no no interest to us. But it's a certain criteria that you would like to think that anybody writing into somewhere like Millwall or ringing up and saying, I know a player, that Millwall would take a look at him. Right, I've got it, I've got it. And I suppose really with the Prem's clubs there, they're probably a lot more picky on on using their own networks to to look at certain players rather than just having a, you know, I'm not saying there isn't a few little gems out there where they probably missed, but I suppose a lot of it would come from football coaches and people with contacts yeah. in the games What would then sit there and say, actually, you want to be looking at this kid. He's only nine at the minute, but the potential. Because I suppose the difference in development between six, seven, eight, nine-year-old to when they're at 16... They could be, you know, they might not grow. They might grow slightly later. They might not put weight on. So there's a, it's a huge gamble from picking a kid at six, seven, eight than it would be probably picking a kid at 14, 15, 16. But then by the time you look at 14, 15, 16, they might have bad habits on a on a coaching level, would they? Oh, yeah. There's, um, I mean, when you're looking at the younger children, they can't sign contracts. So you can't have a, a seven and eight-year-old contracted to your club so they still play grassroots football they'll play development football foundation football I think it's called where 
they'll get to 11 years old or 10 years old. And at that point, they can then join a professional academy. So Millwall can pick up a player at 10 years old, sign him to, a, 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 I think it's a one or two year. It's, and it's not a deal. It's just a contract that's saying, you know, they're going to support him. They're going to make sure that he, he gets all the, the advice that you'd expect from a professional club. He then well, can't play for his grassroots club a lot of the time because it's because it defeats the object. If, they, if they're getting information from the grassroots club, coming into, I'll say Millwall, if they're coming into Millwall, getting different information from the coaches, being asked to do other things, it then causes complications for the child. And the one thing I'd say, and, and I've always said it whenever I've been involved in um, professional football, once a child gets into professional football, a professional football club, for me, it's very easy for that enjoyment to go. And they just see it as a chore because all, all that will happen for the next five, six years or until they're 18. Every day they're getting assessed. Every day they're getting judged. They're getting looked at by people. And, and it, it could be that you know they, they play have 30 great games a season and they might have two bad games. And those two bad games are what they'll end up getting assessed on a lot of the time if the wrong people are watching them. So for me, it's not a great environment. But it's got it's a lot better now because the bigger clubs make it better. They they see their own responsibilities, and I know Millwall do that. You know they, they actually recognise that there's a responsibility to 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 increase the the personality of the child as well. So hopefully, you know you don't see the kids who, who fall away and are left on their own, and you know it suddenly becomes a, a, a life problem to them rather than you know all it is is a game of football. Uh, Jim, I just thought maybe to touch on the EPPP programme, is it the Elite Player Performance? Yeah. Plan? I think yeah. that was brought in, wasn't it? I think in 2011 or 12. Um, yes, yeah. it's Harold Wilkinson who sort of set it up. Yeah, and I was wondering, like, from your experience, obviously, of working in football and scouting and obviously the youth side, is it something that you think it's a, without maybe, is it a good structure, would you say? Are you for the structure to change? Or how would you kind of look at it as yourself from your experiences? Uh, for, for me, and I've, seen, I've been on both sides of it, funny enough, where as a a coach or a head of youth or the youth development guy, it's it's a it's a great thing to make sure that the standards, you know, it, it sets standards across it. What doesn't tend to, to get recognised too often, you've got three different categories of of academy. So you've got the category ones which are the Man Cities, the Man United, Liverpool's, Arsenal's, and they are top draw. The facilities are fantastic. The kids want for nothing. They, the parents never have to put their hand in the pockets, if you like, in terms of providing kit. Then you go down to category three. Category two is good. I mean, category two is generally a, a good level. They, they're, they're just under Premier League class, but they're better than the category three. So I think Millwall category two, I think. Um, places like Crew, Coventry, you know, they're, they're, they're a, good, a good level. But again, they, they, their funding isn't as much. So the likes of Crystal Palace and, and you know, uh, the big boys, they'll be putting millions into it. Millwall won't be putting millions. They'll get a grant from the, the Premier League, from the Football League, and they might put some money from their own budget into it. So it, there's a certain level. Then you get to Category 3, and generally they're the ones that the Category 1s and the Category 2s are looking at Category 3 players because they are the best kids generally in their area but those best kids are already been nicked by the big boys, but there might be a late developer. There might be a kid who comes out of nowhere. And, and as an example, last two years ago, 
one of the clubs I was going to watch had a a 16-year-old boy turned up. He'd flown in, or his parents had moved to the area from Belgium. This kid turned up at the local club, professional club, said, I've been playing in Belgium, I'm a striker, you know, could I have a trial? And within 10 minutes, they'd signed him. He was fantastic, you know, and he's the one that, if you like, the, the category threes are desperate to get. But at the end of that, it's the category ones who are going to then going to come and nick him from the category threes. So, so it's, the P is great for putting structures in place, putting standards in place and ensuring that there's a certain level of, of quality given even the category three to, to young players. What it's not good at, I, in my mind, that the, the, the poor thing is a compensation side of things where, you know, there is a certain level, but it's nowhere near. And I know as much as, you know, Millwall have lost players to, to City over the last few years, but I know within those those um, areas, Man City are one of the few clubs will pay over the odds rather than go to a tribunal. They would rather give more so they keep a relationship with a club. And for future business. For the future, and, and it works. And even though the two players they bought have moved on, yeah. I've, got, I've got a feeling, and I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that there is a, a knock-on effect that when Millwall will claw some money back on there. You know, so was, it's, the, the big clubs have the ability to do that. That was my next question, obviously, obviously with regards to the compensation payments. But I suppose, I think the player in question, I think, was Edizozzi, who I saw is potentially linked with yeah. Germany. So, um, But then, is that so with that, obviously, and you're saying, obviously, the clubs dealing with, between themselves, it's a lot better that way than going through a tribunal process, I guess, because that's when it can yeah. get a bit messy at times and can kind of then lead to issues down the line, I suppose, with what fees actually paid and what's deemed appropriate. Well, the, the, the tribunals are very black and white, you know, very fact-driven. Whereas if you've got a guy, um, and I'll use Man City as an example, with with Adozi, with Giabi, what happens there is that they will talk to the people. So the, the head guy at uh, Man City will talk to the head guy at Millwall in terms of the academies, and they'll try and come to a figure that's reasonable. And it might be, I, I don't know, I think they'd... Did they pay something like a million for a dozy or something like that? They, they paid supposedly, yeah. With everything put built in, it was somewhere mm-hmm. around that. But then, if if he does get flogged on for ten million to Germany, then there's a chance he'll get, you know, the club will get more money back from that. Mm-hmm. And it is a, it's a much better system. If he goes to a tribunal, he might they might get up five hundred thousand, four hundred thousand, you know, which is peanuts in terms of of what they should get. Sure. Yeah, because I think they've got add-ons and everything else. Because you can. You know, if you're doing a deal yourself, you'll get a fee and then you can add, you know, if they do this, especially if they play for England and stuff like that, you can put this on and put that on and, and everything else, which we, we come on to some of the clauses um, at a later point. Um, yeah. One of the things what I am interested in is that with what you've just said there, and I just summarise to a degree, so basically the level three clubs, they're looking for a player to invest, you know, for as an investment for them to be able to sell a profit at a later point, as in the the stage ones are just looking at, at mass players and hoping that they find a gem within them. Yeah. I but think- the level three can't have that ability to to have like a hundred kids in. They have to find that that golden egg as such and hope that 
you know, that they develop, they can produce into a player where potentially they can get money going forward to reinvest into the club. But yeah, obviously the club clubs don't. A lot of the um, the issue with, I mean, a Category 3 academy could have 200 under 10 players. The unfortunate thing there is somebody's got to pay for the coaching. And Category 3 clubs don't generally have that sort of funding. Yeah. You know, So, you know, is it worth their while putting 20 coaches in to work with 200 players? Or is it better just having one group of 16, 18 players with one or two coaches hoping that they'll get the best in their area. So they're going to get the best kids that live within the hour they're hoping for. If they live in a city, they're, they're really struggling because, you know, I think if it, Manchester, you can go to Bury and Salford and places like that. London, you're really stuck, aren't you? Because, you know, you can get anywhere in London within an hour or hour and a half. So, you know, for teams like Millwall or clubs like Millwall to find a gem is all down to their scouting network. So, what they've got to, in my mind, what they would need to do is, is have a, a hub and work out from that hub. So they have contacts, they have school teachers, they have, I don't know, South London, the coaches, you know, everybody that's working in that environment should be able to feed the best kids in the world. You know, they don't. So, so this new training facility, um, what's being talked about within Seven Oaks, obviously yeah. next to Brands Hatch, potentially this is a massive gold mine for Millwall because what they're going to do is they're going to go, potentially they can go in with a new borough council, create relationships with all the schools in that borough. And let's, let's be honest, the Seven Oaks borough is huge. Um, it, it's over a vast space. And with working with the schools, all of a sudden they've increased their network They've increased their potential to find new kids. They're going to have a state-of-the-art training facility, which is going to be better than taking them to Claremont Road and seeing porter cabins. Because I yeah. think that, you know, if you take your son to Leighton Orient or Arsenal and see the training facilities there and then take them to Millwall, you must be, you know, unless you're a Millwall fan or, or you think realistically, that your kid's going to get more game time at Millwall than he is at Arsenal or more chance of making it. I suppose if you look at the training facility we're moving out to that borough, that financially, as a business opportunity, makes a lot more sense after what you've said. Well, yeah, you, you've also, I mean, as much as these foundation phases of, of player development are in place, generally they're fed into through the community programme. So, you know, where at the moment it's all gathered around the, the Millwall ground, if you like. You know, it spreads out from there. Once they get the Seven Oaks, then there's, a, if you like, a second opportunity to have a second community programme that yeah. actually, you know, it, and it's going to cost money. And that's the thing. But community programmes aren't as costly as, as academy programmes or development programmes because a lot of it self-generated funding, you know, where you will do after-school clubs for kids and it could be you charge a pound or two pounds, whatever. It's worth the while for the parents to let their kids do it. Definitely worth the while for the club to to pay coaches to go and do it because you might just find that kid at six or seven or eight that is going to be the lifeblood of the club. Do you think that's you know? maybe the loophole, sorry, that um, Jim, that maybe these Premier League clubs look, look to expose maybe at times? Because I know, for example, there's Premier League clubs in London that are 
maybe perhaps based in West London, but they've got soccer schools in South East London right on the doorstep of where Millwall are, for example. Definitely. Is that just, that's just a loophole, I guess, to kind of, especially with the hour commute thing, I guess, if they're training at South East London, then it's not an issue really to grab them there and have a look at them in that side, I suppose. Well, the one thing you, you don't ever get put into to context is traffic. Mm-hmm. So as long as they live within that hour, you know, if, if you've been, how far an hour? 50 miles, 60 miles, something like that. So if you live within that sort of circle, mm-hmm. you know, the, the likes of Tottenham, Mars, all them, they can do that and they can put their soccer schools up. What's obviously it's in Millwall's interest, and I think Millwall were a great club for it, is, you know, they are a name that's that's fashion around the community. You know, it's not the other way around where, you know, everything is is lovely and pretty. Millwall's was a working class club that, in, you know, encourages its support. And you would like to think that the the community around it acknowledge that and don't get their heads turned by you know, an Arsenal soccer school setting up down the road. You know, and there's always going to be kids that do it, but most of the kids that the, the club will be looking for wouldn't have their heads turned at that thing. Because South East London is within football circles is a is a good scouting area, isn't it? There's it's been a, a lot one, of talent. Yeah. Well, the, the, a lot the, of talent. The, 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 the guy, there's a guy just left uh, Man City, or he's just leaving Man City. He's a head of youth there. Or he's a head of academy recruitment for the whole of England or Britain or national, whatever. But he he's from Croydon. He discovered, or I can't say discovered, because Sancho was already in play. But he recognised him, and he recognised that within South London or South East London, there's all these players. So... He, he tapped into a, a club in South East London that was full of players, players, if you like. And by getting one of them, he got more and more and more. So, you know, South East London is a, a hot weather football. And if we lose, if we miss any of them, it's not always the club's fault. It's because they're, they're earmarked very early, you know, to, I mean, to, to get nicked. I mean, who was it? Bob Pearson. It was Bob Pearson, wasn't it? He used to be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, we, we interviewed... Um, Cherno a while ago and Cherno was obviously an unbelievable player in his schoolboy days and they ended up picking up um, five or six kids from their football team plus their coach because obviously um, that was the way that they'd done it we, we, and again from South East London where kids were up and coming and, and, and going and that was the way they thought of bringing uh, the talent what they wanted but at the same time by bringing in a, a coach to work with those kids because he'd been working with them before and they were scoring goals like it was going out of fashion. And then I suppose you get the development stage where they start developing different and then they start coming off the ball to an agree. Yeah. Well, definitely enough with Cherno Sam, I, I, I watched him play for England schoolboys under, I think it was under 16 at the time because I was at Chester City or I lived close to Chester and they were playing there. And he was a man amongst boys, you know, on the, in the game. And... There was a crowd there, but there was a whole crowd of scouts looking, you know, and Liverpool were obviously part of that deal. So, you know, that they nicked him. But that's what you, I think South East London's always been a, a great place for footballers, but it's also saturated with scouting potential, if you like. You know, all the clubs will have scouts around that area. And, you know, it won't be Millwall's fault if they miss anybody. And I, and I know it sounds a bit Irish, that, but it won't be their no. fault because everybody else is after the same players. Yeah, no, no, I understand that. Have you got anything else on on youth, Omar? Because I wanted to get in with the with the director of football role. He no. did a 
Yeah, no, I, just wanted to, I just wanted to ask, obviously, about the challenges of, so for example, Mill lost Sat Lovelace to uh, Rangers um, in this um, in the summer when they're just gone. Um, I wonder, obviously, it feels like the club are trying to stamp like an identity. There's obviously Matt Namara has come through, Billy Mitchell, Tyler Bury, Olafe is now getting a look in, for example, in the, like in the first team pre-season. Um, it, how hard is it as a club, obviously, I guess in your position when you was obviously involved in youth development at Chester, to try and convince these players to stay when there's big boys kind of lurking around? Is that it's just obviously it's a real challenge there, but it feels like it, it feels a bit underhand, I suppose, from us fans without knowing the details of what happened. But obviously, he's gone to Rangers and the club have kind of put a statement out saying they're disappointed. But how how yeah. hard is that to manage as a, a, in the position for a youth development of? Uh, head well, of the you're in no position. You're in no position to bargain, really, because the, the, the whip hand is with the player, the player's parents. Was he 16th? Mm-hmm. He's 16, 16 yeah. So the, the, yeah, the player's yeah. parents are the be-all end of, of whether he goes and, and plays like Rangers, he'll have an agent. So the, the, the bonuses won't be for him, if you like. The bonus will be going to, a, in theory, a bigger club, Better access to you know higher level football, mm-hmm. but the reality is that you know he's an unknown quantity, so it's not costing them a lot of money. The agents probably doing okay out of it. The parents might have had their heads turned by you know the the whole thing, and it's a shame because at the end of it, Millwall's losing a player who might have been something, but mm-hmm. they might be losing a player who might not be anything. I you think know, his agent's like, dead. Is it? Well, there you go. You can't stop that. No, his dad, I think, is a club promoter as well. So I think his dad is his agent as well. But it, it, as a fan's point of view, it's a bit of a weird one. He's going from being on the verge of the championship where he could make it and then get spotted for the premiership to it looks from our point of view that he's going to the B team of Rangers where in our eyes... I'd want to play championship football or try to get into the championship rather than look at playing B team. And I, and I had this debate with a, a Scottish journalist where he said, yeah, but, you know, they, they were finalists in the Europa Cup. And it's like, yeah, they were, but are they going to play in the Europa Cup games? No, they're not. So technically he's gone from championship football to Mickey Mouse football in Scotland, in theory. Yeah. And, and that's all it is. It's theory because, he was, you know, and looking from afar, really, he was fortunate. He got a chance at the right time. So he was in the right place at the right time to get that opportunity. He played two or three sort of bit parts in, in games. So I don't know anybody can actually say, you know, he's the next big thing for us. He just happened to be the only player or the next cab off the rank. You know, if you want to look at players, I, I don't think anybody at Millwall will ever know unless he gets into the Rangers team. If he gets into the Rangers team, then they've done a great bit of business. If he doesn't, and he's in their academy, because I don't think I don't think Rangers will, will trust a 16, 17, 18-year-old to mm-hmm. go as a stri- main striker for them. They'll go out and spend 10, 20 million or 10, 15 million on a, a certainty rather than a gamble because they can't afford to cock it up, can they? So what's the sort of tools maybe like an academy might use to quantify it? Like obviously you've got under 18s, under 16s, under 15s, under 14s, and each group there'll be a couple of players they deem to be the standout 
talents. But yeah. how would you kind of how would they quantify like this is the one to watch, or how would they? What's the kind of? Is there metrics maybe that clubs might use to kind of keep an eye on these players, or is there anything that they might compare them to to kind of think this could be the one that could kind of go through? Because it's hard to obviously predict development yeah. from a young age. So what was the kind of challenges with that, and is there any tools that maybe academies might use that you can tell? Well, a, a lot of clubs will, will have exactly that. they'll have a template. What they know what they're looking for. Um, the, the great thing about academies is that they tend to do what they want to do, if you like, mm-hmm. in terms of playing styles, what their coaches are coaching. So they're not overly influenced by the first team, unless the first team manager really wants to drive his, his personality all the way down. And then they tend to get the sack anyway after a year or two. So, you know, <laughs> the academies should stay doing what they're doing. But there'll be a template there. And, and what used to happen, I, I don't think it happens now, but you used to have a benchmark player. So you'd have... You'd have your superstars who might. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Perform 8 out of 10, 9 out of 10, but only do it two or three times out of eight games, nine games. But you'll have benchmark players who are always six, seven, eight out of ten. On a good day, they're eight. On a bad day, they're six, but they're still good. And you would gauge everything else above that benchmark. So if you were looking at a player to come into the academy, they would have to be better than your benchmark player. They wouldn't have to be better than the worst player. They'd have to be the better than the benchmark player. And then in the, the series of assessment, it will be the bottom player will be the one to drop out, if that makes sense. So your benchmark gets lower and lower, but your quality gets higher and higher. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes yeah, sense. There's not a lot of difference between what you see in a footballer and what a club will see in a footballer. Mm-hmm. What they'll see are the other things. They won't see, or you won't see, what the kid's like sometimes, you know, when he, he turns up, hasn't cleaned his boots, you know, but he is in rag order and he's, he's not really arsed and all he wants to do is mess around. You don't see that part. You'll see the bit on the Saturday where he's going on the team, uh, he's going on the pitch and he is playing decently well, but just imagine how well he could play if he, if he screwed the nut and, and did so how, do you, how do you see those bits when you're going to a game to scout? You, you've, you've been summoned to go to, uh, I don't know, uh, um, a Millwall-Shelton game, 
where they're playing the under 18s and you've yeah. been told to look after look out for you know two kids how do you find out the the attitude the um the personality of the kid from from your short time there do you do you look to speak to the kids privately do you do you, do you no. one do they give you access to that and two no. do you try and make friends with the parents to sort of no. do it outside or, or do you just go there to watch them play and go actually we need to look at this a bit more and invite them to your ground where you can potentially interrogate them a bit better i suppose yeah probably interrogate is not a great word mate but I know what you mean. Well, you know, you know what I mean. <laughs> no, but what, what would happen is, and again, I, 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 the process that I've been through over the last few years, you're given a name or two names to to watch a game. I would get to the ground as early as I could, so it might be an hour before the kickoff. So there, you watch, generally, you watch um, the kids beforehand so they're not even getting changed or they just make their way to the change rooms. And I might not even know who the kid is. So I'm just watching the group, and generally the, the the best kids will stand out for one one or two reasons. They'll either be fanning around, you know, and being the, the the big big cheese of everything, or they'll be the kid who looks professional, looks you know like he's focused on what he's there to do. And then when they go out on the pitch, you can see to it. I I could tell you watching in a warm up if the player's got it, you know, if he's if he's focused on what he's there to do. If he's going to play to instruction, all the things that, that you're looking for as a, a professional scout or a professional person looking at a young player wanting to become a professional, it starts there. You look at the warm up, you'll see what they're doing, you see what their attitude's like. You're also looking when they're having a drink or whatever, how they socialise with their teammates. Are they popular? Are they the kid who's slightly on his own for whatever reason? You then watch him during the game, and during the game, you're seeing what everybody else is seeing. So, you know, you're not seeing anything different. But then you'd watch them how they walk off at halftime. You watch them. What's their attitude when they're losing? What's their attitude when they're winning? You Then at the end of the game, you might watch them again. If they've won and had a good win, are they a little bit too flash about it? Or are they a bit more humble, if you like? You know, they've won, but they do care, you know, that, that everything's taken care of. And if they've lost... When they're losing during the game, what's their attitude like? And I, I think something like Billy Mitchell is a prime example of that, or Danny McNamara. When it gets a little bit tough and you are losing and it might be a bad day, I think players like that are the ones that you would look for and you would actually look for the, the, the kid who fights back and wants you know, to get something out of the day, not just toss it off because they're losing, because some of the, the better players will toss it off. I mean, one we've been speaking about on the show recently was um, with um, with Ty, with with Bury, where he goes missing in little bits and pieces, where he's just not fully there yet. But you can see that there's definitely potential. Bury, yeah, and, and Joe, well, uh, and he's expected to do so much. He's a young player. He came in from Wimbledon as a, a, a known player, if you like. He came in. He's not held back as such, but he probably didn't force his way into it all. As soon as he got his chance last season, he sprung in and he looked fantastic. And I think that the emotional stress and the expectations on his shoulders suddenly sort of 
it owned to him. So he suddenly doesn't have that freedom. You can see he can score goals. That, that goal he scored last week, you know, he can do that. It's the going missing bit in, in, a, in a side that works so hard. You, as much as you don't want it to happen, you've got to expect it to be young players. And I think if he can keep doing what he's doing, it's at what point it all fits together for him. He went to Hartlepool at a great time because the expectations yeah. <clears throat> didn't didn't outweigh the quality of the club. At Millwall, the expectations and the quality of the championship are a heavy burden you know, for young players, I think. Especially I mean, when they expected to score goals. Yeah, I mean, we saw him at Dartford and there was a couple one-on-ones with the keeper where a, a proven player would possibly have taken his chance a little bit earlier. And you could see on his face, because obviously at Dartford, you're very, very close. And you could see on his face that he took that one or two extra steps to try and put it onto the other foot. And you could physically see on his face that he knew that he'd missed his opportunity. Um, And I think that's the bit that if he can get that under control and, and, and make those shots earlier, like he did with the goal, you know, from the left-hand yeah. side and just curled it in. He's got talent. He just needs to bring it bring it into places, I suppose. That's, that's, yeah, but um, there's also a responsibility on the coaches. The, the coaches there have a responsibility to, to not overburden them, let him play with a bit of freedom because, you know, when he came in and he didn't have that expectation, he did fantastically well. You know, if, he, if he's getting it all on himself, then the coach has got to talk to him, the manager's got to talk to him, whether they have a, a Psychologists turn up with the club, whatever little things. It's, it's those little details, and it could be one conversation might be the making of him, rather than listen to some fan on the side giving him down the banks, and and it might break him a little bit, you know. And if you're getting broken every ten minutes for half a season, it's not going to do you any good, is it? So with that challenge, obviously, we're saying about the manager putting pressure or not pressure, or giving them the opportunity to play. I suppose that's the catch-22 of uh, professional football, isn't it? Because the manager might want to give these players a chance, but then he might not have the patience or might not have the time afforded to him by the club. So it's 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 really like a... I feel like the club at Millwall are trying to shift towards the youth development at the moment and try and stamp their identity on the club. But it's not it's not a luxury that all managers get to have, do they, I feel like, in, in professional football, especially the higher leagues, so to speak. Well, it's, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? You know, yeah. Everybody wants their young players to come through and be seen. And when they're seen, if if the managers puts them in, and they don't get the don't get the three points, or they don't get the results, suddenly they don't look at the players; they'll just get back to the manager. Now, again, funding. I think this year, I think I listened to a show you did the other day, and you know, I think it's a great, a real good feeling about this this year's transfer market. You know, leading up to the season at the moment, but we've been there before, haven't we? You know, everybody's happy at the moment. Everybody's seeing it as a, a big positive. So, youth development, if, if he brings Toffolo John and, you know, Danny McNamara, Billy Mitchell, Isaac Alofi, if they all suddenly have got four players all through the Millwall system, Bury gets in there. We're all happy until the results go tits up and then everybody sort of starts looking at Gary Rowett as being the problem. Because this year he's had a bit of funding. So, this year when you're looking at the squad... Those, uh, I think, Alofi, um, Topolodge, they might just be squad players who might go on loan. But when your squad's so strong, I suppose, or the, the depth of it is getting bigger and bigger, if it's, uh, Shackleton comes in as well, 
suddenly that squad is looking a lot more stronger than it did last year. And the likes of Bury even getting the game, you know, to start is going to be difficult. So when he does get on, that's where the manager can do his stuff beforehand, you know, and and promise him or, or give him some in, indication that if he does well, he'll be part of the deal, you know. And if he does well, then he should be. But if he doesn't, you can't blame anybody else. If if everything else is in play for him or for the other young lads, they can't blame anybody themselves at the end of the day for, for not performing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely. I'd like to kick in because it's something what we've discussed on the shows um, a lot and, and obviously Aldo coming back um, into a director of football role. Um, something what Omar has raised and we both raised it numerous times. We felt that Millwall for a good while, we were replacing managers and basically you had Lomas go out, buy a load of players, get sacked. Those players don't fit into the next manager's line. So, He's then going to get rid of those players, buying his players. Then again, he gets sacked and then they're lumped onto another manager. And again, they're not their type of player. So in a role you did as director of football, how how does that change from it being a manager's decision of what players he buys to you? I take it with a director of football, you then decide what style of football you're going to be playing and what sort of players you're going to look at for that 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 chosen style of football. Is that how it works or is it slightly different to that? It's, well, I think times have changed now, Mick. Um, what happens now within clubs, and I, I think um, Aldo's title, I think, is something like operations of football director, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's slightly away from... The just football side of things. I think he's he's also looking at other things. But what would tend to happen, and a director of football now is seen as a not a requirement, but it's it's seen as a, a positive thing within clubs. Up until two seasons ago, people didn't like them; they didn't want to get anything from them. But now, the directors of football they will tend to take away the first team, if you like. Then everything below that, maybe the under twenty threes, under twenty ones, will still sort of tap in with the first team. But everything under that will be through the director of football and the academy manager. That's how it tends to work. And and how they play, systems they play, the coaches, programmes, um, whether they get psychologists in, their, their strength and condition, everything tends to come then from the director of football downwards or technical director, what you want to call them. So for me, it's a good thing because it yeah. means that if, if they do get rid of... Um, the manager, it means that a new manager can come in, he can impact his style on the first team and even the under-21s or 23s. But what it doesn't do, it doesn't impact any further down. So the, the kid at 16 or 17 gets bombed out because he can't adapt to another way of playing when he's been playing that way for 10 years, you know, getting up to where it is. I think you know, that's it's, a, it's an unfair a bit- process really sometimes. It's a big thing for me as well because I think, um, obviously, even just to this summer, like we've got rid of what well, the contracts in the last half year was Bud Fartson, you know, Matt Smith, um, Connor Mahoney, you know, these players that were on the contracts that Harris offered to these players. And then eventually, Rout's been able to move them out and then get new players in. And that's why we're seeing like maybe the return of investment as well because I think a few of them would have been big hitters in, say, with Alex Pierce as such as well. 
Um, so like it's, it's it is, I think it's a good step in the right direction, I suppose. But it's quite a it's sort of, like you say with director of football or the director of operations of football, it's hard to kind of understand what they fully do, I suppose, because it can be different, I suppose, from club to club, I guess, Jim. And it is, it's every club has its own, if you like, style or, or process of doing things. And again, uh, I don't know Millwall well enough, you know, uh, behind the scenes mm-hmm. to know what he's doing. But, you know, if they're bringing in the players they're bringing in, then somebody's doing a decent job. Yeah. Because, you know, Fleming, um, Honeyman, all good players. You know, the, the two lads from Leeds, two good players. Uh, you know, for me, I, somebody's doing it right. And if he's got his hand on the first team recruitment, if you like, but he's also got a handle with the academy and what's going on there, then it can't be a bad thing. You know, it's it, it's up to it's up to him to prove himself, I suppose, you know, over time. But at the same time, I think the club's going in the right direction. Other clubs do it totally different. Other clubs may do their technical director might be the best mate of the manager. You know what I mean? And and it will say, right, this is what I want you to do, and and it will go and do it. But the academy manager will be left alone, you know, to to sink or swim with what goes on there. So every club's different. But I think Millwall going down the road they are, and looking at the signings they brought in, is a good thing. Do you, do you think that? Potentially, the last few years, Millwall, without having that position, were pretty much too ingrained to whatever manager was there because, obviously, they potentially had control all the way down that bracket and they can inflict their way down. Because I I think Harris and Scott Fitzgerald and everyone else had, had interest in, you know, the youth players as such going down that chart, probably Holloway the same. Um, I think it's probably where now it's Rowett's probably looking more at first and under 23s rather than the whole system. Yeah. Well, the, the trouble is, um, I can't say it's trouble, but managers in the past, not just Millwall, managers everywhere have always been kings of the castle, haven't they? You know, everything in front of them, you know, if they're the manager of the club, they're the manager of the club all the way down. I think the foreign managers coming in, who don't have that burden, they see themselves as head coaches for the first team. Yeah. And they'll they'll cherry-pick the best of what's underneath from there. And if they haven't got what they want, they'll go out and buy another one. So I think Gary Rower is sort of is made do, if you like, you know, with a, a squad of players that weren't all his. He's brought some in to, to fill gaps. He's brought some in that were required at the time. But I think now he's got to the point where having released some of the players he's released, it's opened up funding, I suppose, to, to allow the players he's brought in to come in. And I don't think he's that too bad. I think he trusts the, the academy manager, trusts Aldo, if you like, so that if there is an under-16, under-17 that's on fire, they'll get their chance with the first team. And again, back to the training ground, if if that training ground is going to be with the first team and the academy, you know, and the youth, and that, yeah. what a great environment then. So suddenly you're watching an under-17, maybe an under-16, who's doing really well going over training with the first team, you know, just to have a look at him without the whole rigmarole of changing sites and everything that goes with it. So I, I, I think Rout's in a good position. I think appointing Aldo is a good thing. And I think, you know, the, the, the academy can only get stronger with the move. What would you do? What's your, what would be your start, uh, a curveball for you to a degree? But what would be your... 
style of play as such, what you would bring in if you were Millwall's director of football then? If it was me, I, it's yeah. funny because I'd... Would I, when I first started, I used to work at Wrexham years ago yeah. when, when Brian Flynn was the manager. And I worked in the academy there and they had a fantastic system of developing young players. And it was all built on 4-3-3. It wasn't 4-4-2. And it, the whole process they had was about developing the whole player, if that makes sense. And that's before all modern football come along. So for me, I, I like five at the back. I, I like two centre-backs who can pick up opposition strikers, if you like, or a striker and a deep line striker, if they're picked up, then you've got three good football. If you've got a football in centre-back, he can be the sweeper, what used to be a sweeper, it can be a front sweeper now, however you want to put it, and two good wing-backs. And you always go on the front foot, in my mind. And then I, I like the likes of Honeyman. I like Terry Urlock. You know, different types of players, but anybody who's got that sort of drive in them, will be good. I liked George Savile when he was here before. He's come back and he's playing a different role. I like Ryan Leonard. So for me, they're the sort of players I'd have. I think that I'm probably no different to a lot of people who look at Millwall. I think we're actually quite solid, you know, defensively. We might have an off day here and there, but we're not too bad. I think that the biggest problem that, that Gary Rowett's got, and I think possibly looking on from the outside, is what they do with a front three, whether they play him as a one and a two, whether they play him as a Oh, two wide players and a striker. You know, it's it's a different. You could have two tens if you like, and a and a striker. So I, I think his biggest job is getting a, a firing strike force that can do it. I, I watched the game last year against Reading. I, I brought my missus out in London. We went to the, the Reading game, mm-hmm. and that's the first time I've seen Bennett up up close. And I thought he was fantastic. But I think he came on for the second half, and he was absolutely fantastic. But, but then you don't get that every week, do you? Because he gets injured and he, he might not be for a week. But, you know, if they get Bennett firing, they could get Bradshaw, who I think is a, a, a good striker-striker, if you like. Get a phobia yeah. there. Get Bury there. Who else is there? You know, th- th- there's going to be somebody else who could be thrown in there, Fleming. Then suddenly, I, I think if you can get any of them, any three of them five or six firing, then I think that would suit me at Millwall. Mm-hmm. So I think the rest of it takes care of it. So I think... I think Leonard will, t- will, if you like, cover McNamara. I think the other side, you've got Murray Wallace covering Scott Malone. And he, if Shackleton comes in, he can do both sides. You know, so t- I think we're, we're strong all the way through. I think the, the centre midfield looks fantastic. You know, if Fleming can play as a, a centre midfielder alongside Honeyman, alongside Billy Mitchell, alongside Savile, you know, that group is all right. But I think it's that front area that... that I, I would look to, to. We've got a focal point in a phobie, but it's just which a phobie turns up. I think sometimes, you know, it's. Yeah. I'm no different than anybody else. I think. Yeah, I think the issue we've got, and I think also what I've, hopefully it's how it works out. I feel like it's started to see it in pre-season as well. Like I think we're changing the way we go from back to front a little bit. It used to be in the past, kind of you know, direct, kind of looking to play yeah. the counter attack. But when you get the likes of um, Creswell in at the back, you're getting obviously Honeyman in midfield as well. Um, and Fleming as well. I think hopefully we'll start to see maybe more playing through the thirds, maybe perhaps, and maybe that's something that maybe Rowett might be trying to do. But I agree with you on Bennett as well. I think the frustration with Bennett was, for me was he has two or three good games, gets a knock, and then you don't see him for two or three games, and it takes him a while to get up to speed again. And it's like, he, it's, it's a frustrating, but I think it's something that he's had through his whole career, hasn't he? I suppose at Derby. Well, 
Well, yeah, but he's still young, isn't he? I think he's only 26, 27 now, isn't he? He's, yeah. he's not an old player. So and I think and the more competition there is amongst them, the more they've got to fire, haven't they? I think Fleming's an interesting one because he's he, he can play a centre midfield role, he can play as a 10, he can play as a second striker. And I think he might be the, the competition for all of them. You know, I think he can be shifted around if necessary. I think if Bury can get going, then I think we, we've got a diamond there, haven't we? If he can if he can replace, you know, what we had on the right hand side. But it's I think five of them, if any three can do it, then hopefully they will. With the youth we've got now, just to finish up, the youth we've got now, would you keep them within the in the main squad and try and develop them that way, or would you think of putting them out for another season before bringing them up? I think I think putting them out for a season, it's it's a slightly difficult one because we got caught last year, didn't we? Where we had players out and they couldn't get recalled, you know, or they got injured out there. So for me, I'd, I'd probably let them go for half a season if they're not going to start. We got was it October, November where the World Cup starts? Yeah. If they're not going to be part of the the starting groups, if you like, or the substitute bench, I'd let them go till then. Let them go out on loan to League One, League Two whatever works, and then reassess some things. I, I, not talking about the likes of Alex Mitchell. He's had a season at Orion. I suppose he's done fantastically well. Comes back and obviously his, his pathway through now has been blocked by Crestball coming in. But, you know, nobody's moaning about it. Alex Mitchell's probably moaning. But he won't, he won't want to sort of be sat there doing nothing, having had a season of, of proper football. So, you know, he might be one that goes through Christmas and then reassess him. Excellent news. Well, I think on there we're gonna we're gonna bring this to the end. It'd be rude if I didn't ask you why you're on, Jim. What's your prediction for this season? Where do you think Millwall's gonna finish? And um, and the other one is, I- I'd like a-, a prediction of who you think player of the season will be as well. And then we can come back to our later point and see where it is. So yeah. Two That's predictions for you. Let, let's put it right on you. <laughs> right, but at, at this point, you know, looking at it, and I think if Shackleton comes in and possibly a left-sided player anyway, I'd, I'd put us in playoffs. If we're not in the playoffs, we, we've got to be close to it. You know, it's, it's going to be maybe fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, that sort of area. And, you know, it would be a travesty now, I think, having got what we've got within the squad, if it didn't succeed. So I think we've had a a little bit of time, you know, to get used to Gary Rao. He seems to understand what's required now. And he's he's playing his own hand now. He can't be looking at, you know, previous squads that he's inherited. He's he's doing his own uh, dealings now. So I, I, I think fifth, sixth, seventh, somewhere around there. So that's three choices there. And player of the season? I, I think... Who do you I, I think to stand out for this season? In so I know we've only had three... Pre-seasons games as such, and and bits and pieces. But I mean, who who do you think's definitely one who looks mustard for this season? I, I think already. I think you, you'd look at Honeyman being there, wouldn't you? But yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, I, you know, and I don't know. I, I think it could be Cresswell. You know, I think he's uh, I think he's a sort of player. He's, he's high quality anyway, and to come into a championship team. He looks level-headed. He looks like he'll fit in with the group, and he looks like he'll he'll do a role at the back. That mm-hmm. if he starts pushing him forward with a ball, he might just stand out, and he might open up doors that, that you know that, that we never unlocked here for years. So I, I think Cresswell could be the one. 
Nice. Good shout. I like that. <laughs> there we go. So I'm look over to that one. <laughs> I said last night on the show we did last night, I said um, Honeyman, I think. I yeah, honeyman. I said Honeyman as well a couple of weeks ago, so yeah, I'm with you, I, I think. definitely but... Honeyman there. But we're, we're waiting to see. I mean, we've got some good players coming in. Um, Shackleton and uh, and Creswell working together can only be a good thing. Um, yeah. And with having Fleming and all that, I agree with what you said. I think it's now this is Rowett's year to make or break. Either it's his team, either he can do it or he can't. Um, and he's obviously signed an extension. But I think for the first time in a while, um, we've said on the show, it's a very exciting time. Um, oh, yeah. Being a very positive yeah, I think um, that's it. So, as you pulled them players in, I think everybody got a lift, didn't they? Everybody sat up a little bit, you know, realised that there, there is life after uh, Jed, and mm-hmm. on we on we go. You know, I'm I really looking forward to it now. It's only two weeks away, isn't it? So, no, everybody's it. rubbing their hands. No, that's it. Well, thanks All very right. much for giving up your time tonight, Jim. Um, it was a cracking insight, to be fair, and no doubt we'll probably get questions based on this, and we'll have to come back to it at some point. Um, throughout the season maybe um, with some of those questions but no Omar anything else before we end no all good thank you Jim for coming on it's been a great chat it's been lovely meeting you lads and uh, I I listen to the podcast all the time so yeah I I, I sort of know you but I don't know you (laughs) brilliant (laughs) I don't know if that's good or bad I'm the good looking one don't worry about that one so yeah Um, right you've been listening to that Mill podcast where um, we've been asking a premiership scout or an ex-premiership scout some questions. Hopefully you've enjoyed the show. If you've got any comments uh, regarding it, drop us a DM or um, email us at info at thatmillwallpodcast.co.uk. Make sure you follow all our socials and uh, carry on listening. Thank you very much. See you again shortly. Bye. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.